First John, if you would please take your Bibles and turn to the book of First John. You can find it a little faster by going to Revelation and backing up about four books. Jude, Third John, Second John, and the book of First John. Five chapters, power-packed, and almost just overwhelming to think that we can take a few minutes and go through this particular book of the Bible. And uh, I was thinking about this, Brother... Um, Brother Ted Spear spoke about it a little bit when he was with us a few weeks ago and talked about how that he really has found a lot of blessing in that boy as I read it several times in preparation for tonight and studied its pages and its chapters. It's certainly, you can see, it is, bob, is deeper than the bottom of the well in truth. Now, we believe that the book of 1 John was probably written by John the Beloved. Uh, John the Beloved wrote the book of John and then he also book of the Revelation at the end of his life. Uh, he looks like he pastored the church at Ephesus for some time uh, in the later years of his life. Of course, we know that he was the only disciple. He was the youngest disciple, we believe. And he was one who didn't, was not martyred. He did not die uh, for the cause of Christ. He was tortured. He was boiled in oil and exiled on the, the island of Patmos, uh, probably by the king there or the uh, rulers who, who just said, you know, this guy is way too powerful. He's preaching to him. People listen to him. If he's going to preach, he's going to preach by himself on an island. <laughs> and so they put him away from people. But while he was there, God had a purpose, and he gave him the book of the Revelation. By the way, sometimes you get sidelined, and you're thinking, ah, my life is not doing anything. God has a purpose even in those quiet zones of silence that you go through. Everybody has them. Uh, you have situations where like, you know, if God's so good, why am I sick? If God's so good, how come I'm having these moments and these days and weeks where I feel like I'm not productive? I'm sure the apostle, every time he got put in jail, he probably thought, well, here we go again. But usually a prison epistle would come out of it. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad for Philippians and, uh, and uh, Colossians and Philemon and, and the books that God gave to him while Ephesians, while he was in jail? Uh, God used him to, to get some things done. And while it looked like a bad thing for John, it was actually a good thing because God gave him the book of the Revelation. It's a great book of God's Word. It's a great blessing for those who come and read the book of the Revelation. Don't be afraid of it. And we'll, we'll talk about that book in about four more Wednesday nights. We'll, we'll, we'll go through that in a, in a bird's eye view. And we went through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter a few uh, years ago, a couple years ago. But I love that book and very thankful for it. But the three little books that he wrote, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, the 2 John was written to a lady who seemed to have children who grew up and walked with the Lord. Maybe the dad was absent, I don't know, but it looks like that her kids really uh, were, were used of God and they grew up. By the way, every child growing up here this evening at First Baptist Church, and in this, in this, you ought to decide, you know what, I am going to live for the Lord. And I'm going to please the Lord. And that's where we find the verse, you know, in, uh, about uh, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so he writes to a lady in, in 2 John. 3 John, he writes to Gaius. And Gaius is a very, seemed like a faithful man who loved God's people and encouraged them. And he had an, uh, he had an issue with a man named Diotrephes, who was the antithesis of Gaius. Gaius was a good man. Diotrephes was an idiot. <laughs> he was a self-proclaimed uh, uh, leader and very caustic, very critical, uh, very counterproductive to the things of God because pride was in the way. And he wanted to have the preeminence himself. And so he complicated the church of God there. And, 
And John writes to him, to Gaius, his beloved uh, in the faith, and he talks about him and also another good man in the church and how to deal with diatrophies. But in 1 John, a little bit longer, a little bit more doctrinal in nature, we believe it doesn't say that John wrote it. We believe he did write it. He has the same characteristics as does uh, the book of John. Paul uses grace, faith, and uh, hope, and charity in much of his writing. If you read Paul, you'll see the word grace pops up. I don't know that you'll find too many references to grace in the book of 1 John. I didn't check that out, but there wouldn't be as many. But if you read Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians, you'll find grace will surface quickly. Uh, you'll find faith, a lot of references to faith in, uh, in the, uh, the book of, of, the, of Paul's writing. And love, that's, just, that's the common denominator because love is the pristine attribute of a true Christian. It's the mature attribute. Let all your things be done with charity. And if you and I are mature, it will surface and it will show in our uh, love for God and love for others. And uh, it, is the, it is the more excellent way. But uh, in John's writing, in this particular, there are three other words. There's light and love and life. You'll see those come up in the book of John and in 1 John with regularity. Light, love, and life. Those are things that he'll focus on. And, of course, he spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll also, a fun activity that I did in this study in preparation, is every time I, I found a word that referenced Jesus, the Son of God, Christ, or he in reference to an antecedent of Jesus, then I would underline that. Because you're going to see one thing that Paul and John had in common. They focus on the person of Jesus Christ from the very beginning. Let's look at chapter 1 and verse number 1, if you would please. The Bible says that which was from the beginning, and is speaking of, you can almost put he that was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, which we have heard. We heard what he said. We have seen with our eyes. We saw him. And we have looked upon him, and our hands have handled. We've shaken hands with him. We put his arm around us. We put our arm around him. We've actually touched him. Of the word of life. And, of course, in the beginning was the, who is the word of life? Jesus. Verse number two, for the life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which is with the Father and was manifest unto us. So once again, uh, for the life was manifested. Jesus is the life and he's going to talk about that. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to see a reference to life and it was made known or manifest to us. Verse number three, read out loud with me, would you please? To the which we have seen and heard declare we unto you fellowship with us. And he said, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. And you're going to see that he'll do that several times. He'll put this statement, we write these unto you. And he'll tell you why he's writing that. We'll look at those moments momentarily a little bit about that. Um, I think there are three main reasons, if you want to talk at three things that were going wrong, that he's trying to correct. One is disobedience. The other is discord. And the last one is disbelief. Can you help me with those things? What's the first one? disobedience. There was, he said, if you love the Lord, then keep his commandments. You remember hearing that in the book of John as well. He said, you're going to, God uses the thermometer of obedience to test the temperature of our love. And he says, look, if you say you love me, what are you doing? Are you obeying me? Are you sensitive to say, I love you, dad? If I told my kids, take the garbage out, dad, I love you. Tell you, I love you, dad. But if they don't take the garbage out, I don't really want to care about their love. <laughs> I want them to obey me. 
Simple thing. I'm not trying to use them and abuse them. I just need obedience. I say, you know what? I need you to get your room clean, get things together, and come down here and eat with Mom and me. And they say, well, Dad, I'll tell you what. I'm going to lay in my bed, but I sure love you. I say, no, 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 no. Don't mess with me like that. If you love me, get your room clean and join us down at the, at the lunch table. Well, Dad, I'll tell you what. I always loved you, though. I tell you what. Well, I don't really want to eat. Talk is cheap. And he says, look, one thing, that, uh, one thing that he is trying to correct is disobedience. And how many have been disobedient from time to time to the Lord? We have. All of us have. Another thing he's trying to correct is discord. He's going to talk about, look, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you are a, boy, that's pretty rough language, isn't it? You're a liar. I don't like anyone to say that to me, and I don't really want to, I want to be careful about saying to other people, but God doesn't mind saying that. He said, if you say, oh, I love God, I'll tell you what, I love God, but I have a problem with someone, I hate him, I hate her, can't stand, can't stand them. He said, you're a liar. Don't say you love me. You can't be uh, vertically right with God and horizontally right, wrong with someone else. And God, God knows that. And he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one with another. And that's a challenge. It's not, love is ch not cheap. It's the ex most expensive commodity going. But he's trying to deal with, in this past scripture, I think number one with disobedience, number two with discord, and number three with disbelief. Because they had been hearing bad doctrine, and doctrine determines destiny. And it also determines your conduct. It determines you. And they'd, they'd gotten some bad doctrine that you can lose the salvation that God gave you. And that's one of the reasons that he's going to approach you. He said, I'm going to deal with your disbelief. And you're going to see the word. You don't see the word faith as much as you see the word believe. Believe and believe. And remember, all through the book of John, you'll see the very same thing. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see that, that in John chapter 1, verse number 12, he says, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So you can see the focus there with that. Here's, let's look at, the, let's look at a quick uh, outline. This may not be a, a thorough outline, but it is one that uh, I've kind of come up with. Number one, knowing the light of God. Chapters 1 and 2, knowing, and you'll see a focus on light throughout that passage of Scripture, knowing the light of God. Chapters 3 and 4, knowing the love of God. The, and uh, number 1, the love is pure. Chapters 3, verse one, and two, 1 through 9. Number 2, it's a practical love. It's going to not just have a love in your heart and give you a fuzzy-wuzzy, but it will play out in my treatment of other people. Remember years ago, one of our professors at college said this, and it stuck with me. A lot of things that I heard at college did not stick with me. I must have slept through them or something. I don't know. But, um, but I, I, I remember this one as one of the things, there were many things that were said. Uh, but I remember this one. Love is not feeling right about someone, but making a decision to treat that someone right. Love is not a feeling. I heard about the little boy that said, love is a feeling you get when you feel like you're going to feel something you never felt before. <laughs> a little feelings in there, a lot of feelings in there. But that's not what love is. That little boy was wrong. Love is not feeling right about someone. It's making a decision to treat someone right. Not feeling right is treating them right. And that really takes a, a level of maturity. But we see not only a practical love and a pure love. Number three, we see a perfect love or a mature love in chapter four. That's what's going to be the focus in chapter four, to grow up and to be spiritual. Now, if you would please look at the third section there, and that is knowing the life of God, chapter five. 
So knowing the light of God, the love of God, is a pure love, practical love, perfect love, and then knowing the life of God. And uh, these are things that um, I've seen in, in some form of an outline and just put that together for you there as well. Facts. Number one, here's a couple reasons why John wrote the book of First John. And let's look at it real quickly. If you can, please turn to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. You're there? Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And let me have all the men read verse 3, and uh, all the ladies, if you would please read verse number 4. You ready? Here we go. Men, that which was seen and heard, declare we unto you. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Ladies? Very good. Two words I think we can see here that the reason he wrote the book is, number one, so that you would have joy and have fellowship. You'd have full joy and fellowship among the brethren. And once again, one of the challenges in this book is, is discord, and the devil loves to work discord. He's the accuser of the brethren, and there are six things the Lord hates. The Bible tells in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs chapter 6, yea, seven are abomination to him, and the last one is he that soweth discord, stirs it up. Among the people, among the brethren, don't do that. Uh, you ought to, big people make, make uh, big problems little. Little people make little problems exaggerated. They grow it. And I want to be, I want to make, make sure I, I bring a solution. You do too. But certainly whatever you do, you don't want to stir it up. I think it, there's, there's no telling the hurt that has gone to the house of God, to the salvation of souls, because of um, God, or the devil using and people yielding to satanic influences to stir it up and to, to stir discord. He says, look, I want you to have your joyful and I want you to have fellowship with God and with others. Let's look at another verse of scripture, chapter two and verse number one. He says, my little children, these things write unto you. Here's the reason he write, writes it to you, that ye... Sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. You have a lawyer. You have someone who stands with you. You have someone who will go in for, before you. Jesus Christ, and notice what he's recalled there, Jesus Christ the righteous. And that's a wonderful thing. The only reason we can stand before God is not our righteousness, but his. And he says there, he says, I'm going to write this to you, that you don't sin. That kind of goes with Proverbs, with Psalms. And you're familiar with the verse. If I start, I think you can finish it. Thy word of I, my heart that I might not. Yeah, the more of the word I have in my heart. I was discipling a man, and we, we read Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then when you do that, you have a much more positive return on your actions and your behaviors, your words, your, your attitudes. If you don't, you're going to have some wherewithal. Shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Uh, he says, look... The, the reason I wrote this to you is so you could have victory over sin. You could have a pure life. That's the word there. So number one, fullness of joy. Number two, fellowship. Number, two, uh, number eight there, a pure life. Look, if you would please, at um, the next one, and that is uh, in chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Chapter 2, verse number 7 and 8. And let's look at it, and let's look at it if we can, please. Ladies, read verse 7. You ready? Brethren, I write no new commandment. Verse number 8. Gentlemen, ready? Again, a new commandment. 
Very good. I think it's a firm reminder to love. He says, I'm going to write this. It's not a new commandment, but it is a new commandment, and that is love trumps everything. Love covers the multitude of sins. Do all your things with charity. And he's going to say, this is, this is my new mantra for you, and it is to firm us up on a firm reminder that love is our, should, be our, uh, should be our goal. It should be the, what we're known by. That guy loves the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 3, the Bible says, If a man love God, if any man love God, the same is known of him. If, some, if a lady loves God, those around them know that girl loves the Lord. You don't have to go up and say, well, no, I go to church. I am a Christian. You don't have to say that. Your life will be as louder than anything you could ever say. Now, I don't think we have to have a lifestyle evangelism where we don't, we don't talk to people about Christ. I think you need to, we, we talked about that on Sunday, the early church, they spake. They could not help but speak. It's not going around just living such a life that everybody just comes up and asks you, what must I do to be saved because we see difference in you. But there ought to be something different about the way we live. And love should be that, uh, that, that mantra, that uh, M.O. that all of us have in our life. Look, if you would please, in chapter 2, and now verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him from the beginning, speaking of people that have been saved a long time, and some of which that knew Jesus and knew the early apostles. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. These are new Christians. These are people who are new in the Lord. They're people who are young men who are strong, and they're, they're overcoming temptation. Verse number 14, read it with me out loud. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning, because ye are strong. Once again, he's talking about the word of God abiding in you. You're, you're young, but you're knowledgeable of the scripture. And you need to overcome Satan. And uh, if you would look at one more, verse number 21, chapter 2, verse number 21, I have, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and uh, that no lie is of the truth. So the thought there is the call of God. He's written for, to a call to God and his truth, that we, that we run to the truth of the word of God. The next one there, it's a warning against false teachers. Chapter 2, verse number 26, these things have I written unto you, uh, concerning them that seduce you. He says, I'm, I'm going to write you to be aware of seduction. Uh, seduction is, is, is a false teaching wrapped in things that we might even like to hear. How I many of you have ever heard people say about a particular preacher, you know, I just like the way, I just feel so good when they preach, when they teach. I feel so good about myself. I have my best life now. <laughs> uh, you get those things going, all of a sudden you realize uh, it's, it's, it's seduction. You know, they, they, we've got people who won't even name sin. They don't want to say hell. They don't think that's important to say hell or, or eternal fire or the lake of fire or things of that nature. Just tell people how good it is to be, uh, to be, in, to be God's children. But uh, I would say, he says, be careful that I'm writing this to you so you're not easily seduced. Look at the next one, if you would please. And the last one, a warning against false teachers, but the last one is an assurance of eternal life. Most of you would know this if you are turning your Bibles, turn to chapter 5, verse 13, and let's make, let's make sure this is underlined in your Bible. It's a great verse for eternal security. 
These things have been written unto you. So he tells them why I wrote this to you. And this is, this is not for necessarily the whole book. This is talking about uh, this concept here of eternal salvation. That believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know. I like to underline that in, in my Bible. I will encourage you to do that. That ye may know, not hope or not think. Or, and, and, and I really hope I'm going to heaven. No, you can know the eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And uh, this is the confidence we have in him, that if any ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and we know if he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that he hath this petition that we desire of him. And God reminds us here that he wrote this so that we would have the assurance of eternal salvation. I put it as a theme at the top, so you can know. You can know his light, his love, and his life. A couple lessons to learn in closing. Number one, salvation can and must be nailed down in your heart. We're at church. I think all of you and I, uh, we, many of us, it's our culture. Going to church is not necessary. Matter of fact, we're very comfortable. We're comfortable with the songs we sing. We like to see our friends. But the Bible tells us, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. They're very familiar with the lingo. They're very familiar with the person of Jesus. But he'll say to them, I never knew you. Now, that's not to, not to scare you. That's to make sure that your salvation is settled. Uh, every once in a while, you, you, there's a, I had talked to a man the other day, and he said, look, you know, I just got tired of just repeating the same little story that my mom told me that when I was four, I got saved. And the Holy Spirit began to convict my heart, and I was like, you know, I don't have a clue what I did. I think I remember someone baptizing me, but I don't remember getting saved. Now, I understand you may not remember everything. I think about uh, Brother John Bishop. He doesn't remember getting saved because he lost his entire memory. But he knows he's saved. And because if salvation is putting your faith in Christ. Occasionally, I challenge people, listen, you, you really need to know that where you were. You, and I say this illustration. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm exactly right. I'm not sure that everybody has to have uh, an exact moment of time. But I like it. I like having that. And if I, w I wouldn't gamble on not having that myself. But uh, I would say this, that usually you remember where you were whenever you meet someone important. I remember where I was when I met Ronnie Lott. He was, uh, he was a, a safety for the San Francisco 49ers. I remember where I was when I met and shook hands with uh, Mike Pence and I, I prayed with him. I, I know where I was on those three occasions that I met him. And uh, I remember that. I remember where I was when I met Mike Braun. And uh, I, there's different people that I've met throughout the years that may be a little more uh, noticeable or, or famous. I know where I was. I don't mean I know the day on the clock or the hour on the clock or the day on the calendar, but I, I remember where I was when that happened. And I would say that most of us need to remember, wh where, where did I put my faith in Christ? When did I put my faith? Exchange my, my sin for God's Son. And usually that is something important. But if you say, Pastor, that, I don't believe that. Make sure your faith is in Jesus. Make sure you know, and God knows, that your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think John is reminding them. And he's, he's using the term several times. He won't take time to do it tonight. But you'll see, if you read the book of 1 John, he'll say, these people are born of God. These people are born of God. And, of course, John is the one who uses that he must be born again. And he's repeating what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, people who are born of God, they don't enjoy sinful lifestyles. They don't. People who are born of God, they love the brethren. 
They figure things out enough to say, you know what, I may not feel right without sister or that brother, but I, I love them. God loves them and I love them and I know God's dealing with me about that. When you have that, people are born of God. He says, some people, they go out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have not departed from us. He said, he said some folks, they just, they, they, they faked it till they made it so long and they're sick of faking it. And just like Judas, he went away. I don't know how many times he thought about going away. Uh, I don't know what all the situation is there. But he said, these people born of God, these are attributes that follow them. Make sure you know you're saved. And don't, don't say, well, I'm saved because, you know, I was raised up in it. I talked to her the other day, the other day, asked someone, tell me, you know for sure. She goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I said, how do you know that? Well, I was just raised up in it. I said, well, when did you get saved? Oh, I was, I'm sure I was young. It's like, like, when? <laughs> it, what happened? Well, I was young. I told you I was raised up and I've been born, I've been a Christian my whole life. And it always gets me nervous. They might have a head knowledge. I don't want the Lord Jesus to come to them and say, you know, I don't know who in the world you are. Depart from me. I want to make sure that. And I think John wants people to know they're saved. And if you are saved, he doesn't want you to wonder about it. He wants you to know it. Let's look at the next one real quickly. Number two, the, on the lessons to learn. My relationship with other Christians determine the clarity of my spiritual vision. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Can we look at that real quickly? The Bible says, He that saith he is in the light. Once again, light is the first part of chapters 1 and 2. If you say you're in the light and hate his brother... He is in the darkness even until when? Now. He that loveth his brother abideth how? In the light. And there's none occasion of stumbling in him. You want to stumble? Walk around in the dark. <laughs> You're going to fall. You have if light and say, Pastor, well, I want to walk in the light. Well, iron out your problems with other people as best you can. As much as life in you, live peace with all men. And don't have animosity in your heart towards somebody else. Do you have it right now? You can keep it. You can walk around in the dark and fall over the place and stumble. Time after time, day after day, week after week, year after year, stumble. I'm convinced many people go into sin because of a bitterness toward another man or woman. And they can't beat a stubborn habit because they're holding on to a bitterness or an angry, and they keep stumbling. You know what you're going to do if you stumble? You walk in the dark. And he said, but he that loveth his brother is in the light. And I, I just think we're fooling ourselves to think we can be right with God, we can have a victorious Christian life, and have a problem with another Christian that we're not willing to reconcile on our time. Now, I will say this, sometimes you, 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 forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation has to come with repentance. There are people that that maybe have hurt you, and they have not. They have no interest of coming and saying, would you please forgive me? Are you free not to forgive them? No. I think Matthew chapter 18 reminds us, if a person does not forgive his brother in his heart, he's going to be subject to captivity and torture. You want to talk about how to quickly get into bitterness? Just, just hold someone by their proverbial throat wait for them to pay and want them to, they have to come and ask you forgiveness before you forgive them. God tells us we ought to forgive each other in our heart to do that. And he says, one of the things I think that First John teaches is, number one, get your salvation settled. Number two, if you're saved, figure it out with a brother and sister. Don't have animosity in your heart. And you know, you can usually tell when that animosity goes away. And you may not, I think almost every time you have someone who's hurt you, 
You'll need a watershed moment somewhere in that thing. What I mean by that is you're going to need a time where you really get with God and say, God, so-and-so hurt me. They took advantage of me. They, they owe me. But I do not want to collect. I am tired of trying to make them pay in my mind. I don't feel equitable. I don't feel like it's been done. I'm off, the judge. I'm off my rug, and I want you to forgive them. Just like Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Threefold things that Jesus did on the cross. In the morning, he chose to suffer for someone else's hurt to him and let them walk. He, he knew that we owed him, but he didn't make us pay. He didn't collect. Number two, he prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them. On what basis? They know not what they do. They might know what they did, but it wasn't done to them. It was done to you. On that basis, forgive them for they know what they do. And then the third thing, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Turn over judgment, control of that situation into the control of God. That's what hands do. Hands part your hair. They, they find out how much food you put in your mouth. They, they decided what blouse you'd put on or shirt you'd put on today or what trousers you'd wear or what socks you'd pull out. Uh, hands, hands, how much mascara you put on your face or what, uh, how much toothpaste you put on your toothpaste. It, it controls what you wrote, what you type, what you, what you text. So your hands control. He said, Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. I'll, con- I'll turn over the control of this thing, the outcome, into your, your, your spirit, your control. And it's a good way to live, uh, especially compared to what the other is. And then you get to live in the light. I think that's a great thing. Last one real quickly. It is my responsibility to keep myself pure, and we're done. Let's look, if we can, please, at verse number 3, 2 and 3 of chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. He said, man, what a wonderful privilege to become God's child. Now, look at verse 2. Now, beloved... Now that we are the sons of God, now that, now that we're God's child by birth, spiritual birth, it does not yet appear we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He said, because we're saved, we know that one day, what's predestined is one day you and I will be like Jesus if we're saved. That's God's eternal goal for us. And he said, we'll be like him. We'll see him. We'll be like him as he is. With that promise in, in, in our hearts and lives. Look at verse 3 and read it with me, would you please? Verse 3, ready? Every man that hath this hope. Okay, let's read it again. Every man that hath this in him. All right. So how many... Believe with all your heart that God took your sin, you took his son, you're saved, you're going to heaven, you are God's child, would you raise your hand? Okay, now that's talking to me and that's talking to you. Now, if I have this hope in me, what is my responsibility? According to verse 3, live pure. Pure in my morals, pure in my motives, live pure. You can do it. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to live a low life. And uh, God gives us that thing. So I think that's a great truth from that. Let's-